You know, this was a interesting interview, Sandra, wasn't it? As you and I had this conversation with Joe, and I was really looking forward to having Joe on the uh, the podcast. Right, his tagline is a spiritual focused builder of men. He's written some incredible books, but um, you know, he talks about we're male by birth, but we're men by choice. But as Joe was sharing a story, Sandra, there were some incredible connection points that the two of you had during this interview. Um, you know, coming from some similar places, and uh, but you know, with different experiences. But my goodness, what what you, what you just, you said just before we started this, right? I think Joe is my new best friend. You know, and what what are what is everybody about to hear that just really resonated with you? Yeah, well, I mean, Joe's story is incredible. You know, he he was raised extremely, extremely modestly and the projects in Miami. I mean, literally the neighborhood where, you know, some of the most violent video games out there are are modeled after. Grand Theft you know, single- Auto was modeled well, after I don't, his I don't neighborhood. Lo- yeah. I don't like so, saying it out loud because that gives it branding. But, um, mm. you know, the, uh, <laughs> the he's he's born, his mom's 16 years old. At 17, she has his do- uh, his sister. And, you know, she is depressed and lonely because two years later, you know, his dad leaves her. So he has just this awful, you know, violent upbringing. He's then sexually abused by a man who, you know, sort of pretending to be a father figure. So he's just, you know, got the worst... Um, most scrappy story because he raised himself up from all of that, was the first person in his family to go to college, um, well, first graduate from high school, first to go to college, first to graduate, got a master's degree, got a PhD, first company at 22, has written all these books, you know, so by 30, he's on the surface, this incredible success. And, you know, very similar to my story, came from very scrappy upbringing, um, you know, made the cover of the Wall Street Journal at 34, thought I was all that, even though I'd been raised in church. Once you get to a level of success, you have to constantly intentionally remind yourself that this is God's doing and not your own. I call it the sin of self-sufficiency. So you start thinking that you're all that. And when you start thinking that you're all that, then you sort of see yourself as untouchable. And that is when, um, you know, Dr. Joe began to fall. And so he talks about his fall and, and some of the things that he did and the choices he made and how he hit rock bottom. And I love he says, when you hit rock bottom, God's the rock that you're resting on. Mm -hmm. I mean, how incredible is that? I just love that. And so just his story of redemption and not just redemption in his own personal life, but now he has this ministry where he's affecting men all over the world. And he's just unabashedly unashamed and telling his story and says, "Here, here's my story. Here's what I did. And, you know, I, I always say um, that we have to be authentic. Authenticity is the new black, is my silly saying. Because if we can be real with our kids and with other people and um, with believers and non-believers and just say, hey, here, by the grace of God, I would be, you know, dead on the side of the road somewhere. Um, and that's his approach. And so he, I mean, you, you've been to some of his events. I mean, how incredible are these things? Uh, he's, he's amazing. You guys are going to, I mean, he tells this story, right? He calls it rags to riches, to ruin, to redemption. And, and Sandra and I really ask him, you know, some really hard questions about some of those hardest times, those most challenging times and how he got through them. And those, you know, those periods of, of loneliness and feeling abandoned and, and, um, 
and just losing everything. And how do you how do you move forward in that? Because I th- I think a lot of people in these you know I think we we can relate to all these different areas, but how he shares and what he shares and how he answered some of the questions that we asked him, some some really some deep and thoughtful questions, man, just blew me away. And I'm really grateful that we get to share this with, with everybody out there. And we'd love to hear your feedback on this. You know, as you listen to this, please share this one with a friend. And we'd love for you to go to iTunes and also just hit subscribe and tell a friend about our podcast. We're really trying to reach more and more people with how to step out, be their best self, and step into fully that life and that calling that God has called us to. So um, you guys are going to love this interview with Joe Martin. So let me, uh, let me uh, turn it over. All right, Sandra, today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we're going to be talking about, uh, man, a real subject. And this is about, you know, how do we become real men in this world? And, and, uh, and there is nobody better to talk about this than our, our guest, Dr. Joe Martin. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on, John. I appreciate it. And hey, Sandra. Hello. Good morning. I, we're just so excited that you're here. Your story just is going to resonate with so many people. Thank you. And I'm so humbled that you invited me on. I appreciate it. Well, Joe, you're, man, you're uh, such uh, just what you've gone through and just how you're sharing authentically, right? And, and what you're teaching people today, man, it is so needed out there. Um, as all of us, right, we're striving, right? to to just become our best self to step into what god's called us to do and it's interesting i talked to so many people joe um and they share a concept with me right uh like hey what do you really want you know where are you moving toward and uh and, and what i hear all the time is you know what i'd like to live life you know fully alive right you think of john ten ten. And I would say mm-hmm. 85, 90, 95% of the men I talk to say, you know what? I know I don't have it. I know I'm not close. Um, I don't know exactly how to get there. I just know I'm not there yet. And here's the great news is there is, there is and Christ laid it out for us, man, there is absolutely a path to get there. Uh, but before we really, you know, kind of dive into how to do that, your story is so powerful. I, I'd love to start and just share have you share your story because people need to, you know, get to know you, but also hear where you're coming from and some of the things you've gone through, Joe. Yeah, and Joe, let me uh, let me set the stage because I love this. We have a lot of similar backgrounds. You know, you were the the first in your family to graduate from high school. Of course, first to graduate from college. You graduate early, top of your class. You know, purchased your first home as a college senior. Started your first business at age of 22. Youngest professor in your state by 24. Admin position in the governor's office. Doctorate degree, all by 30 years old. Happily married. Have your first child, a sweet little son. And you're like living the American dream. Like you are, you are the success. You are the poster child of pick yourself up from your bootstraps and make your own life. And so it, maybe you could pick up from there and tell us, okay, so it, it's looking good on the outside. And then what happens? You know, Sandra, I need to take you on the road with me. That was a, a great way to, um, to kind of give a summary of my story. You did a wonderful job with that, you know, because there's four p- components to my story. And you touched on um, the, the second component, which I call the richest part. I tell people my story um, it goes, it's a story of rags to riches. Um, to uh, to ruin to redemption, 
and you touched on the rag, the richest part, because that's what most people, they, they kind of gravitate towards the first two components. And what you didn't mention is where I started out. I grew up in one of the toughest projects um, in Miami, Florida, in a place called Liberty City. And if you're not familiar with Liberty City, if you ever heard of a, a video game called Grand Theft Auto, then you heard of Liberty City. They did a when they do a video game on your neighborhood. That's not a good thing. Yeah, and, and, so, and, and, and also <laughs> that's one of the video games I wouldn't let my kids buy. By the way, and, and I wouldn't let mine watch. My, my son like, Dad, you grew up there. You won't even let me get the video game. I said, No way. I said, I lived it, been there. But I was the son of a teenage mother. My mom was 16 years old when she had me, and had my sister at 17. So while she was a junior in high school, she had two kids. And my dad walked out on us when I was only two years old. So we were um, I was raised without a father in the home. And due to that, my mom uh, had went through some some very um, tough and emotional problems because here she was with two kids and the man she loved and gave herself to had left her. So she became very depressed and she became also an abusive alcoholic. And so I, I say that not to diminish my mom, but to let you know that she was dealing with her own demons. So the last thing she could do was worry about raising her children. And when you're not a hands-on intentional parent, that means you open up your kids to a lot of um, negative influences. And some of those influences to me was um, gang violence. I lost six of my friends before I was 16 years old. Um, I was sexually abused as a child by a man who stepped in thinking he was helping my mom and my mom recruited him. And he ended up um, abusing me as a child for three years of my life. Um, I had a dozen friends who were incarcerated. I was exposed to not only um, gang violence, but also drugs and alcohol and you name it. I was exposed to it. And so I'm just painting this picture. That I grew up in abject poverty. You get the point. And then, Sandra, you mentioned about what happened to me, all those great things, because that that is the American dream. And the third part of my story, though, after the, um, the richest part is that I thought I had it all. Um, you're talking about before I was 30 years old, I was earning over a quarter million dollars. And so growing up in abject poverty and having that, even though I wasn't a millionaire, I felt like one. But because of that, even though I was a good man, I wasn't a godly man. And I grew up in the church. And because I, I realize now that you're a, a male by birth, but you're a man by choice. And I never made that choice to be a man because I was never taught how to be a man. And so when I got married at an early age of 22 years old, I got exposed to real life when it comes to marriage, because marriage is not about rainbows and unicorns, as you guys know that. So when it came into problems, I thought money could fix it. I thought if I just provided enough for my wife, that would fix it and my child. And it wasn't enough. And before you know it, I started getting lured into pornography. And then that just um, especially having the funds and resources I had, it just kind of escalated and got out of control. So it turned into full blown adultery. And I tell people that I wasn't even just an adulterer. I was a serial adulterer. And I'm not proud of that, but I'm just trying to paint a realistic picture. And they said, what's a serial adulterer? That's when you lose track of the bodies. And so my wife, who was a virgin when I met her, and then I did this to her. You can imagine how devastating that was to her. She could not recover from that. So after a 16-year marriage, it ended in divorce. Um, I lost half my wealth, um, almost lost my health because I was with so many different women, sometimes unprotected. And so I put my family at risk and I almost lost my career and my life over all of this. So when I hit rock bottom, when I tell people now that, um, that everybody's rock bottom is different, but everybody has to get to a point where they reach a bottom when they realize that God is the rock at that bottom. And when I got to the deepest, darkest part of my life, I just surrendered. And I said, God, OK, I'm done. I, I, I've ruined my life. There's nothing else I can do. I can't get my wife back. I said, I got to win the respect of my son back again. I'm willing to do whatever you tell me to do, even if I can't restore, even if you don't restore 
what the enemy, I allowed the enemy to take from me. And I had a road to Damascus experience where a man entered my life. And I'm giving you a short version of this because we can always go into more detail. And he literally changed my life. He was the first godly man that I had ever been exposed to. Now, that sounds crazy when you think about me growing up in the church, but I'm talking about, I'm not talking about just a good man. I'm talking about a godly man, a man who actually lives his life in front of you that you see him doing what you want to become and what you want to do. And I met him at 33 years old and it changed my life. And then I say the last part of my story is redemption because not only did God, he didn't, uh, I couldn't restore my marriage because my wife, my ex-wife just was totally devastated and she still couldn't forgive me. She still couldn't trust me again. I think she probably could forgive me, but she really couldn't feel like she couldn't trust me again. And so we went our separate ways. We, We fought for the marriage, but we couldn't make it work. But God brought me another wife who I'm currently married to now and I'm blissfully in love with. I now have a daughter who's not my biological daughter, but you couldn't convince her that she's not. And my son now, uh, I, I gained full custody of my son. He's now in college now. So he's out of the house and God restored my family even better than it was before. And now I have several men supporting me, helping me um, walk into this authentic manhood thing that I've been trying to pursue my whole life. And God went a step further by putting a vision in my heart to help me disciple the next generation of men as well. So now I run a nonprofit called Real Men Connect. And we work with men, helping them find authentic and true manhood through Jesus Christ. And I run uh, right now, I host uh, the number one podcast on iTunes for Christian men and helping them become men. So look how God brought me from all the way back there until I and I ruined my life and abused his grace to now bring me up here today to be on the eternal leadership podcast that now I'm trying to to minister to the souls of men. Yeah, Joe, wow, what a journey. And and I'd love to bring you back. You know, if you think about, you know, that maybe that night when all this had happened and every everything had crumbled, everything that had been your identity was gone, relationship gone, and you're laying in bed and you're sitting there at night, probably can't sleep. You know, before you met this godly man that that led you toward redemption, you know, what what was going through your mind and, 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 and how did you process all this? You know, it's funny. You weren't even there, John, but you said laying in bed. I was actually laying in bed <laughs> when I was really in, in, in full disclosure. I mean, I thought about ending my life mm-hmm. because how and it wasn't a fact. That, yes, I had overcome so much as a child, but it, it, it was beyond. I knew that that I had achieved a lot and had overcome. But the reason why I wanted to take my life was the fact that I felt that I had abused God's grace and mercy and he would never forgive me for it. Because think about where I was. And then, you know, God's hand had to be on my life to get me out of that situation. You're talking about most of my friends were either dead or in prison. And to see him pull me out of that and give me an opportunity to become the youngest professor to teach in the state of Florida at the age of 24, to um, to be able to start a business at the age of 22 and all those accomplishments that Sandra um, had mentioned. And then I do this to my wife and break our covenant, not just one time, but repeatedly. So. I had felt I lost respect of my 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 son. I had thought I lost respect of my wife and that my life wasn't worth living. And now I have no more credibility because how can I stand on a stage? Because I was speaking all over the country, traveling all over the world, um, helping kids, helping training teachers. Now I had no credibility. So why should I even continue to live my life? So I was in that bed um, just crying out to God and and I was done and I was suicidal. And um, but that's when I surrendered because I knew deep down in my spirit 
that I I could not probably get back what I lost, but I knew that I, I if I wanted to start all over again, that it's going to start with me surrendering and submitting my life to Christ. And that's what I did. And when you know, after I did that, he led me to um to Howard. And that, that was the man who stepped into my life and my life changed. I tell men that I can't I, I never understood that you're only one godly man away from changing your life. Just one. Now, I try to get as many as possible in my life now, but all you really need is one powerful man that can turn to uh, redirect the course of your destiny. And that's what Howard did for me. Hey, hey Joe, um, I've, I've heard from other men, you know, they've been through some crazy circumstances uh, and they, they do. They, they feel like they get to this place where they've lived a life and made decisions where they're in a place that that God cannot forgive. And it has become uh, just a tremendous area of stress and pressure, but it's also like this this self-imposed block between them and a true relationship. And I think it's something uh, more people are struggling with than, than they've probably admitted to people around them. And what would you say to those folks that are listening are like, you know what, that I, that's exactly how I feel about what I've done? Yeah, and matter of fact, uh, what the part I left out is actually what God spoke to me in my heart mm. that brought me out of that pit. Um, my ex-wife, when after our divorce, she saw this change in me that I was joyful, um, I was in peace, even though I had not, um, God had not restored everything that I had lost. I still had nothing, pretty much. But she saw that I had this calm and this peace about me. So she came to me and she says, "Joe, he said, I, you know." I like the fact that you're moving on with your life now and you're you're doing better because she saw me depressed all the time. When I would go pick up my son, I wouldn't I wouldn't even look her in the eye because I was so embarrassed, so ashamed of myself, so defeated. So she noticed that I had this pep in my stuff, that I was confident and I was bold, even though I had nothing. And so she asked me, said, Joe, please don't be offended. But I want to ask you a question. I like the fact that now you're getting your life back together. But I got to ask you a question. How were you able to um, forgive yourself? Mm. And I say, excuse me. She says, um, I've been struggling to forgive you. And it's been very, very tough for me to do that. She said, but I noticed that you seem to have forgiven yourself. And I'm just telling you the truth. If I was you, I don't see how you could forgive you. How could you look yourself in the mirror every day, knowing what you did to our family, knowing how you destroyed our life? Knowing how you broke God's covenant. You get the picture, John. She's telling me all of this stuff. That was and a said, tough conversation, wasn't it, Joe? Yeah. And so she's telling me this and I'm just looking at it, listening to her. And she said, so please, I'm not trying to bash you, Joe, or kick you. I just want to know because you seem to have turned the corner. And I want to know maybe if you tell me how you were able to do it and forgive yourself, um, maybe that will make it easier for me to forgive you. So it made sense that she was asking that question. And then I told her the truth. And I'm going to share with your audience today that changed my life. When I was in that bed at rock bottom, mm-hmm. God um, spoke to me. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And he asked me two questions and he said two things to me. One, the first thing he said, he says, Joe, um, you know um, how much you hate yourself right now? And I said, yes. Mm-hmm. He said, Joe, you can't possibly hate yourself more than I love you. Mm. He said, I challenge you. Tell me how much you hate yourself. He says, I love you more. I love you more. You can't possibly hate yourself more than I love you. 
Now, John, you think that would do it for me, but God, I guess he knows I'm hard headed and stubborn. He had to he had to really go the extra mile for me. And then he said, Joe, do you know all the things you did that your wife doesn't know you did? Mm. All the things that she never asked you about, because I told her the truth. I answered every question you ever asked me about the about all the um, the cheating and running around with all these different women. But she doesn't know everything. And she didn't ask me about everything. And God said, you know, the stuff you did that she didn't see that only you and I know about. Mm. I said, yes. He says, my son died for that, too. Mm. He said, now I'm asking you, give me something that my son did not die for. Tell me something you did, Joe, when you at your worst that my son didn't die for. And I started coming up with things that he died for that, too. And that, too. And that, too. He said, Joe, we can do this all day until eternity. Everything you did or ever thought about doing. He died for it. And I told my ex-wife that. And do you know she was speechless? And she hasn't asked me about that ever since. And so that was that's what I would tell to the listeners out there who are going through that pit or uh, who are in that state of shame and, and guilt and despair, thinking I'm just I'm too far gone from God. No, you're not, because you can't hate yourself more than he loves you and everything you, you did or even thought about doing his son died for. Wow. That's powerful. And and. You know, so so often when you said something that really stuck with me, you know, your friends were either dead or in jail. Your mom is not emotionally available to be there for you. And you're, you know, you had let your wife down. So you were completely alone. You were completely alone with no one to turn to. And, you know, so many of us have those moments in life where I'm totally alone I'm, you know, I have nobody I can talk to. I'm embarrassed. I can't go to work because they know what I did. I can't look my wife in the eye. You know, she knows what I did. My kid knows what I did. I mean, just that sense of alone and hopelessness is so powerful. And, and, and so many, you know, of us have been there and we have listeners now that are there right now. And so just your, your story uh, you know, I call it open up the ears and listen because God's there. He's he's talking to you at your at your rock bottom. And I love that, that when you're at rock bottom, God's the rock. That's right. He's the rock at the bottom. Yeah, he's the rock at the bottom. But just can you and I and I know this is heavy stuff, but can you just address that sense of aloneness? Because, you know, if, if we could reach someone out there who's feeling that sense of aloneness and and how you finally opened yourself up to other people, because um, that, you know, God's first step and, and surrounding ourselves with others is the second. Can you talk about how you did that? Yeah, I had to come to the, the, the understanding and know that there's a distinction between being lonely and being alone. Um, and I think we miss um, we misconstrue those two those two words. And so when when we're feeling lonely, it's not that we're alone. We're feeling lonely. We're feeling that um, we have no place, nowhere to turn, no place to go to. And here's the truth of loneliness. If you are in Christ, in Christ, you're never alone. See, so in other words, loneliness is a choice. And I had to come to the realization that I was choosing loneliness. 
didn't have um, um, my mom there available to me. My dad wasn't available to me. And now all these things happen. I said, man, I don't know who I can trust. But I knew God, but I didn't turn to him. And so I realized that I was choosing to be lonely because I'm not alone. And so when you turn back into Christ and you get in Christ because he's in you, then guess what he reveals to you? Now the, the lies of the enemy starts falling away from you. And then you realize your eyes are open and your ears are open. And guess what you realize? Look around. There are a lot of people in your lives who can pour into you. There's a lot of people there who will empathize with you, who will say, you know what? I understand, Joe. Me too. Because that's exactly what happened. When I when I went back and restored my relationship with Christ, I was able to see that I had an army of people around me. Now, they may not have been my biological family, but I had people around me. Some were my school teachers. Some were even friends in my neighborhood who was in a bad situation like I was, but they weren't doing bad things. But the thing is, I never opened up my mouth to share my pain and my suffering, my hurt. So I suffered in silence. And so my my. Advice to that person out there who's um, saying, man, I, I just feel so alone. No, you're feeling lonely. But you're, if you're in Christ, you're never alone. That's a choice. Amen. You know, what What was that, you know, in, with everything you've gone through, right? Uh, you know, that step for you in that moment, was it when God spoke to you and shared how much he loved you? that you moved back in, into that relationship or started moving back into that relationship with Christ, Joe? Yeah, it, it was a point of surrender. That's why I, I, when I work with now with men, especially who are going through addiction and recovery, I tell them that pretty much it was four basic steps I had to go through. One, I had to surrender. Then I had to submit. Then I had to pray. And then I had to obey. Mm. And what you're talking about, John, is the surrender part where I had to pretty much say, God, I can't. I can't. But I know you can. I cannot do this by myself. You know, Sandra, you mentioned it about I need to get stop choosing to be lonely because I'm not alone. So, God, I can't. I need help. God, I can't do this. So I had to surrender. Then I had to submit. And God, I'm ready to now to submit, not to do it Joe Martin's way, the way I've done it in the past, but mm-hmm. now to submit to your will to do it your way. And God, I understand your way I may not always like. It may not always feel good. It may not always sound good. It may be even a little bit scary, but I'm going to trust you anyway because I've already surrendered. Now I'm submitting to your will. And then I had to pray. And I'm not talking about just general praying. I'm talking about, God, I'm going to pray that you give me the strength to carry out your will. No different than what Jesus had to pray to get to the cross because he asked God to take that bitter cup from him. So he needed strength to continue to obey God. So, God, I'm praying that you would give me the humility to ask for help when I need it. God, I'm praying that you would give me the strength to endure when I feel like giving up. God, I'm praying that I will be able to stand bold when people start to judge me over my past. God, I'm praying that you give me the strength to speak the truth back to the enemy when he tries to discourage me or distract me. So I had to pray. And then the last part, I tell tell my men that you have to obey because God is going to reveal to you the steps you're going to have to take to get out of that pit to reach out to that person. And God, I am now going to obey you and do it. And so those were the steps that I had to take um, to get out of that pit. And now, Joe, you mentioned when you were 33, Howard came into your life and you said something um, that he was the first godly man that you had met. And when you said that, what did you mean? 
See, um, and you, I don't know if what kind of uh, if you had a guest on a prior show talking about men's issues, but the number one question I get asked from when I'm a guest on somebody's show is typically, Joe, you help men be, help good men become godly men. Joe, what is a real man? Because our organization is called Real Men Connect. And so I tell them that I was around thousands of males in my neighborhood, but not one real man. So the obvious question begs to that for you to ask is, what is a real man? So what I define real manhood as is, and also let me qualify this, this is not my definition. I didn't write the definition of manhood. I'm using Jesus Christ as the example, because not only was he a real man, he was a perfect man. And we know there's not another perfect man walking around on this planet. So if we're going to use a standard for what a real man is, I'm going to use Jesus as a standard. And to me, Howard fit that standard. He was pursuing that standard. And here's what I saw in Howard that I didn't see in any man until I met this man. One, that I saw that he was leading his family spiritually. A real man leads his family spiritually. He rejects passivity and he accepts responsibility. So he leads not just leading the family. He leads her, his wife as well. So he leads his family spiritually. Also, he loves and serves others sacrificially. He loves and serves others sacrificially, which means that he accepts responsibility for the people in his circle. That is not about him. It's about what he can do for them. And so he's laying his life down on the line, not only for his wife, but also for his family and for his friends as well. So he's lo- he loves and serves others sacrificially. All these things I saw in Howard. And the third thing that I noticed in Howard that Jesus Christ exhibited was also that a real man leaves an eternal legacy. He leaves a legacy. And I'm talking about a legacy of faith to his family. He's not a situational man. He's a generational man. He's not concerned just about the here and now, but he's ta- he's thinking about when he goes to the other side, what will they say about him when he's gone? Would they talk about how much money he had or would they talk about the impact that he's made on their faith and for the kingdom of God? And if you want to look at it in more practical terms, let's take Jesus out of the equation. All you got to do is look at two men, Adam and Abraham. Now, both of those men, when you hear their, their names, you think of something. And when you hear the word Adam, when you think of his legacy, you think, dude, you blew it for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't touch that doggone fruit, we may not be going through what we're going through right now. Now, when you think of Abraham, what do you think of? Faith. Now, here's the funny thing about Abraham. We think of the father of faith. Man, what a great man of faith. Go back and read Abraham's story. He was jacked up. This dude had a lot of problems and issues, but that's not the point. We all have problems and issues. But when it comes down to his life, what do we remember? A real man leaves an eternal legacy of faith that will be talked about generations even after he's gone. And here's the last thing that I think makes a real man. And this is why Howard was the first man that I saw do this. Not only does he lead his family spiritually, loves and serves others sacrificially and leaves an eternal legacy. Check this out. He teaches other men how to do the same thing. Now, I've met a lot of good men who can lead their family spiritually, love others sacrificially and leave an eternal legacy. But guess what? They're not passing on what they learned to the next generation. They're only concerned about their own children. And the reason why I mentioned Howard, because Howard had eight kids, eight Mm -hmm. kids. His man was married for over 30 years and he adopted me as an additional son. Because he was going to teach me how to be an authentic man. So to me, that's what I mean by when I saw Howard, he was the first real man. And now I model my life pursuing those things, 
but being like Christ-like, but at the same time seeing a, a, a human being who's flawed like Howard said, if he can do it in this flesh, so can I. I can lead my family. I can love and serve others. I can leave an eternal legacy, and I know what I can do. I can teach the next generation of men to follow. Hey, Joe, that first conversation you had with Howard, what did he share with you? Now, this is the funny thing about it, John. He he didn't share anything. He showed me everything. Mm. Um, he brought when he brought me to his house. I was at a speaking engagement, and he invited me to come down to speak at um, a school in my old neighborhood in Liberty City. And now it wasn't a school that I went to. It was a middle school, but it's one of the worst middle schools in Liberty City. When I say one of the worst schools. At the time I met Howard, he had been in education for over 22 years. He was a school teacher for 22 years. At that time, he had already gone to 26 funerals of middle school kids, John, middle school kids. So when I met him by divine appointment, he invited me to come down to speak at that middle school because I've got to tell you, Howard's white and he's not from Liberty City. And I never I didn't meet a white child till I was 12 years old growing up. So I didn't know we had white teachers in our neighborhood. And so he invited me to come down, speak at the school, not only speak at that school, but he lined up several schools in my neighborhood. So I had to stay down there for five days. And you said, when did it happen? It was the first day I met Howard. He picks me up. He brings me to his house because he did not want me to get a hotel because, you know, in Miami, it's pretty expensive to get a hotel for five days. And so he said, Joe, I want you to stay in the house and live with us for the next five days and we'll take care of you. Now, I didn't know he had eight kids. But when I got there, he had eight children and he was married. Like, man, there's a lot of people in that house. And so that first day, so first of all, we get to his house. Before we get to his house, he picks up some flowers and he says he he, uh, he picks up fresh flowers for his wife every Friday. And so he brought those flowers and when he presented to his wife, I saw that he didn't I, he wasn't teaching me anything. I'm just watching him. So he gives his wife flowers. And I said, you've been doing that for how long? You guys been married at that time? It was like 30 years. And he said, man, I've been doing it for, I said, for 30 years. He said, yeah. So he's giving flowers to his wife. All of his kids are at the door to greet him. And you can see that they were in awe of him as if they'd never seen him before. But they were so welcoming when he came to the house. They forgot, totally forgot about me. And so we go into the house and then we all have dinner. And each child is responsible for praying and thanking God for something at that table. And then as they break up into their separate parts, he says, Joe, I'm getting ready to go um, put my daughters to sleep. He has um, three daughters, five sons. He said, Joe, would you come upstairs and pray with my daughters with me? Total stranger. They didn't even ask me if I was a Christian. He just said, would you come up and pray with my daughters? I said, sure, I'll do it. So went upstairs with them. We prayed over his daughters. He said, Joe, um, I need to talk to each of my sons and I'd like to find out how the day went. I want you to sit in on conversation because maybe they may have some questions for you as well. So he engaged each one of his sons. Then we went downstairs and then he says, Joe, I have a nightcap with my wife um, every day because she homeschools all of those kids. She homeschools our kids. And I want to know how her day went, if she had any problems with the kids. Joe, you I want you to join us in that conversation. Now, the whole time I'm thinking, why does he want me to be part of this? He's doing that fourth component I was telling you about, John, teaching other men how to do the same. Are you following me? Not through his words, through his actions. So he does that. Now, remember, I'm there five days. So he's not just faking this because over the next five days, not only is he doing all of that, they're having family devotionals. I didn't even know what a family devotional was. And they're talking about and each child is reading from the family devotional and they're having me participate in it. They're going out into the community, um, serving people and helping with the homeless. And I'm, I'm watching all of this thing and saying, what kind of man is this? So that initial, what did he do? He exposed me to his life. And he let me do life on life with him for five days. 
five days. And it changed the course of my life forever. So that's what he did. He showed me. He didn't tell me anything. Wow. And how did he find you? Did he, Was it someone you worked with? Like, you know, because we're all looking for that kind of person, right? I mean, if we're... If we're a believer, especially and we're struggling, like we're, we're looking, we're searching, our heart is open, um, you know, but we're feeling insecure, we're feeling bad about ourselves, we're beaten down. How did he find you and how did you say yes? Do you really want to hear this? This is going to blow your socks off. Now, and we had to, I didn't know you guys were going to go there by how I met Howard. <laughs> this is God. Remember when you said earlier, Sandra, you were mentioned about being lonely and alone? I said, remember, you're not lonely. That's a, that's just a feeling. But if you're in Christ, you're not alone. And if you submit and surrender, God will reveal to you. Well, I'm speaking in Miami at Florida International University. I'm lecturing to some student leaders on the campus. Now, I go to Miami all the time. But I just don't get back to Liberty City. You know, so I've spoken at University of Miami, FIU, Barry University, Miami-Dade Community, you name it, all the colleges, but never in my own neighborhood, never been back to Liberty City after I left. And so I'm lecturing at this college, and at the end of my program, I'm signing books. I'm signing some of my books, and I did I did a talk on servant leadership. And this one kid is at the end of the line. I'm talking about it took about an hour and a half before I got to the end of this line. This kid is the last kid, last kid. He comes up to me with one of my books. He says, um, Dr. Martin, he says, um, I'm buying one of your books, and I would like you to sign it. I said, what's your name, son? He said, my name is Micah. I said, oh, like in the Bible. Is it spelled M-I-C-A-H? He said, yes, that's how it's spelled. He said, but I don't want you to sign the book to me. I said, you don't? I said, who you want me to sign it for? Or sign it to? He says, um, I want you to sign it for my dad. Mm-hmm. And Sandra, I paused because you won't believe what I'm getting ready to tell you right now. I've sold thousands of books. Do you know no one has ever asked me to sign a book for their father before? Mm-hmm. Ever. Ever. So, of course, I'm shocked. So, a next, what's my obvious question? Dude, who's your dad? <laughs> I'm like, man, he says, huh? I said, who's your father? He says, oh, my, my, my dad's name is Howard Mintz. I said, Howard Mintz? I said, okay. I said, what does he do for a living? He says, um, he's a school teacher. I said, man, I'm a teacher. I said, where does he teach? He teaches in Liberty City. Yeah. I said, you're in Miami? He said, yeah. I said, I said, I, hate, I said, please don't be offended. I said, is your dad white? Like right? I said, because you're white. He said, yeah, he's white. Why would you ask me that? I said, there's no white people in Liberty City. He said, yes, there are. He said, my dad doesn't live in Liberty City. He just teaches there. I said, where does he teach in Liberty City? He's at Horace Mann Middle School. I said, wait a minute, dude. Do you know that's the worst middle school in Miami? He said, yeah, I know. I said, what does he teach? He said, oh, he's in charge of indoor suspension. I said, wait a minute. <laughs> I said, he's not teaching a class? He said, no, he volunteered to be in charge of indoor suspension. I said, now let me get this right. Your dad is at the worst middle school in Miami, in the worst neighborhood in Miami, and he's now volunteering to work with the worst kids at that school? He says, yeah. I said, dude, what kind of man is your dad, <laughs> right? He says, man, I, he's just a great man. He says, that's why I'm, I want you to sign a book for him, because he loves servant leadership. And so I signed the book to, um, to his dad, Howard Mintz, and then something, I know it had to be Holy Spirit, I usually give cards to, to students who don't have fathers, you know, because I feel like I, I can be a positive role, role model for him. Something in my spirit told me, give Micah my card. Now, he doesn't need it. I normally would not give a card to a kid like Micah who's in college doing well and that kind of thing. And so I say, here, I said, Micah, here's my card. I say, you won't ever need this card. 
but I'm just curious. He says, what I said, I want you to hold on to it because I want to know how your life is going to turn out. He said, why, why do you want to know that? I said, for you to have a father like this man who you're talking about, man, the sky's the limit for you. There's nothing you won't be able to accomplish. So I'm just a little bit curious to find out. I said, I'm a professor by nature, so I want to do research. Would you mind just every once in a while, maybe once every two years, text me, send me an email or something like that? I said, I just want to, and he's looking at me like, are you a stalker? What's wrong with you, dude? <laughs> right? So I get the card and he left and that was it. I get back on a plane. I fly back. I was living in Tallahassee, Florida. So I fly back to Tallahassee. Two weeks later, I get a call on the phone and it's Howard Mintz. And he says, is this Joe Martin? I said, yes, it is. He said, this is Howard Mintz. I said, Howard Mintz? He said, yeah, you lectured at Florida International University and you met my son. I said, oh, Micah. He said, oh, you remember? I said, yeah, because he asked me to sign a book for you. He said, yeah, he told me you wrote this book. I said, yes, I did. He says, you wrote this book? I said, yeah. He says, but my son told me you're from Liberty City. I said, yes, sir. He says, and you wrote a book? I said, yes. He says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He says, how'd you make it out of Liberty City? I said, excuse me? He says, how did you make it out of Liberty City? And Sandra, you know what I told him? I gave him the, the richest part. Oh, I went to college and I started on the business. He said, and this, is, this was Howard's response. Don't give me that crap. <laughs> wow. I said, what are, what, what are you talking about? He says, I don't want to hear that crap. I said, but I, I went and got my education. He said, no, 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 no. He says, son, did my son tell you where I teach? I said, he told me you teach at Horace Mann. He says, do you know about Horace Mann? I said, yes, sir, I do. He says, Joe, I've been there 22 years and I've been to 26 funerals. Those kids didn't even make it out of middle school. So don't tell me about college. How did you get out of here? And I broke down crying on the phone. And I told him the whole story. How... I was abused and I was suicidal from 12 to 16 years old. And I thought about taking my life because I thought there was no God. And I thought God hated me and was punishing me by me growing up in that neighborhood. And that's when he extended the invitation to Joe, would you um, come down here to speak to kids at my school in your old neighborhood? I said, sir, yes, I will. He said, Joe, but I heard you get paid to do this all across the country. We can't afford to pay you. I said, sir, you don't have to pay me. I will come down there for free. Now you see why he asked me to stay in his home for five days. I had no idea. I wish I could tell you I had this all planned, Sandra. Can't you see God's hand on all of that? That's incredible. All of that. If he would have paid me, I would stay at that hotel. Are no. you following? If I didn't yeah. give Michael my car, I would never even known about his dad. If Michael didn't stand in that, oh Lord help me, Jesus. If Michael didn't, oh, if Micah did not get my book, I would never met Howard. Howard's been my spiritual father now for 15 years because at the end of those five days when he was taking me back to the airport, he gave me all these resources and books and DVDs and CDs and videos about manhood, about fatherhood, about being a husband. And I broke down crying and I told him, I said, Howard, I know you got eight kids, but would you adopt just one more? And he broke down crying and he accepted that invitation and he's been fathering me now for the last 15 years. Unbelievable. I'm so glad you shared that story because, you know, that's just about God's prompting and pricking our hearts and obedience. I mean, had you gotten tired before the end of the line, you'd never gotten to Micah. I mean, it's just think about all the things God weaved together to get to that moment when you entered Howard's home. There will I mean, be God no, is, Sandra, there will be no real man connect. Howard's the one that got me interested in male discipleship. 
because because of his example and his exposure to him. And I asked him as an educator, I said, if you could fix one problem in education, Howard, I said, because, you know, I work with school districts all over the country. I work with over 750 school districts. So I get to work with superintendents, principals, teachers. I said, Howard, you are a, a powerful, strong man. I said, if I could do if you could fix one thing in education, what would it be? And Howard told me this, and it was now, I guess it now about 10 years ago. He says, Joe, that's easy. I will fix the man. I said, Howard, what's that got to do with education? He said, Joe, you don't get it. If you fix that man, you fix that family. And if you fix that family, you fix that marriage. And you fix that marriage, you're gonna transform that family in that neighborhood, in that community, and you're gonna impact the nation. He said, Joe, there's a reason why I volunteer to be in charge of indoor suspension, because they don't have a father. They need a male role model. So Joe, if you wanna fix the education problem, you fix the man first. And because of that, that was the seed that was planted for Real Men Connect. And now that I'm doing this ministry, so you can imagine how how it feels now seeing what I do for a living now. And I would not be doing this if I didn't have his influence. What an incredible, powerful, amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Oh, my goodness. So redemption. And now look at the impact you're having around the world. Yes. That's why I said you're only one man, godly man away from changing your life, changing your destiny. Now, I recruit more than one, but think about it. One man is responsible for that. Just one. And now I got hundreds of men, godly men in my life because of Howard. Because I realized that they're not unicorns. They're out there, but you have to be intentional about, about recruiting them. And, and, you know, here's something that's striking me too, right? That here's, here's the such an encouragement, I think, for everybody listening, right? Where, where Joe was and where you were coming from, this path from ruin to redemption it's not unique to you and you know what you're not special right god sees every single one of us with this intense incredible love more than we can even comprehend in that path forward those small steps those relationships those conversations they're in front of every single one of us aren't they joe i mean this path to get to like from where you are to where you're at right now is the path that God wants every single one of us to walk on. And here's the thing I would challenge people is, you know, tie into what Joe's doing and become that builder of men, become that godly man. Who's that example to, you know what, just start with being that example to one person around you to be, you know, to, to be that person for your wife and for your kids. And you start working there and then guess what? You can do that for somebody else that God's going to put in front of your path. And if you were that man, you don't feel like I'm ready to do that yet. Well, man, just take a small step forward and, and be, have the humility to be bold enough to ask somebody just like Joe did. Here's a guy he didn't even know and asked Howard if he would be his father. What a powerful statement that you, that you made, but you put yourself out there and you, by asking that question, and submitting to Howard's leadership in his life, Joe, all of a sudden, you know, God used that in an amazing way. And, and, and there's so many lessons to be learned from what you did that every one of us can take into our lives today, not even tomorrow or next week, but right now, don't you think? Amen. Amen. That's why I tell you when it, it all starts with those surrender. Because if you think you could do it in your own strength and you think you don't need God to accomplish it, accomplish it, you won't. And so it all begins with surrender. And I had to surrender to um, um, to my ego, to my pride, um, to my um, 
my past and say, yes, Joe, that your past explains you, but it doesn't excuse you. And I had to accept responsibility for my my actions and my choices. But I had to be total surrender to God. I can't do this, but I know that you can. Mm. Well, see, so if people want to really connect with Joe and I encourage you to do this, right, because real men connect. Right, Joe? Yes, um, realmenconnect.com. But you know what? Um, another thing, we, we decided to do something special for your guests, um, you know, John. So if they want to not only um, stay connected with me, but we have some gifts um, for anybody who's listening to this particular episode. If they go to realmenconnect.com slash eternal leadership, eternal leadership, the name of your show, they will see a, a page designated just for your listeners. So they can um, download two gifts that we've um, created just for them. And one is called The Real Man Spiritual Leader Blueprint. It's 21 Ways to Love and Lead Your Family God's Way. And the other one is a book that I wrote called Are You the Man? 201 Lessons I Wish My Father Would Have Taught Me. And now they can pay for those books by going to Amazon.com and buying them. But you can get them for free if they go to that page at realmenconnect.com slash eternal leadership. That's just for your guests. Well, Joe, thank you so much for your your generosity of spirit, for sharing so just authentically. Uh, I know, you know, this made an impact on me on things I need to work on. I know God's going to lead me into making changes in my life and how I'm showing up in my family. And and I know that it's impacted everybody who's been listening in, in our audience. And thank you. And if there's anything at all I can do for you, uh, man, please, please let me know. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. And thank you, Sandra, um, for your great questions as well. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm going to get those books for my husband right now. (laughs) (laughs) 